the work I do with Heal Your Hunger is a whole different tack. Like it's not about food or weight. It's not about exercise. It's really about changing the way we live, putting self-care in our lives, you know, making sure we put ourselves first, which doesn't come easily. Like we have to train that. Like we have to, as women, we have to be trained and encouraged and supported in putting our, our needs first. And people think self-care is selfish, but it's really selfless because when we do it, when we take timeouts for ourselves, our families, people around us get the best version of us. And we forget that that's what happens. So it's not selfish at all. It's actually preparing ourselves to be able to give more, but from a, a deeper place, you know, and not from a deficit. Welcome back to the Essentially You podcast. I am your host, Dr. Marisa Snyder, and I am here to help you feel great in your body and to rock your hormones with so much ease and grace so that you can reclaim more energy, vitality, and joy and become the CEO of your health. Let's jump on in. The first time I broke up with sugar, and by sugar, I mean desserts specifically, was on October 1st, 2009. And this was after months and months of going to Pete's Coffee, grabbing an Americano, and then stopping off at the French bakery on the way back to the office at 2 p.m. like clockwork, Monday through Friday. And let me tell you, after several months of this, my skinny jeans would not fit anymore. Now, the other doctor in the office, Dr. Lauren, we decided that we desperately needed to break up with sugar and made a commitment to break up with sugar for 30 days starting on October 1st, 2009 with a $50 wager on the table because we knew that was the only way to break our emotional eating habit, cold turkey. Now, this habit initially started out like any habit does, gradually, as a way to give me an energy boost in the mid-afternoon before I hit that three or four o'clock energy slump. And you know what slump I'm talking about, where it feels like you are walking through molasses before the end of your day. Now, I had been stressed and tired, and the best way that I knew how to overcome that energy slump back then was a mid-afternoon caffeine and sugar boost. They worked every time. And honestly, I had learned this trick as early as high school, when my energy booster was not as sophisticated as an Americano and a French pastry. Back then in high school, it was a Diet Coke and a Yorick peppermint patty after school. Now, since, I'll be honest, I've been an overachiever even back in high school, I was pretty exhausted after school, especially before I went off to go play soccer for three hours or go to a play rehearsal or do whatever activity I was doing until 6 p.m. every day of the week. Now, clearly, since before I was an adult, I used food to deal with my stress or low energy, and that food always came in the form of caffeine and sugar because they rarely failed me back then. And in the beginning, honestly, they never let me down, even when my body did. So when you start to think about your own journey, and if you've experienced emotional eating, what drives that response? What does that trigger for you? Is it stress? Is it burnout, overwhelm, anxiousness, PMS symptoms, mood swings, what is it that brings out those uncontrollable cravings of baked goods, chocolate, coffee drinks, chips, and or cheese, right? Any of the above. I have found that it is really challenging to stop emotional eating habits without other habits to take their place. At least that has been the case for me. 
Now, because I know so many of us are struggling with some level of emotional eating, especially after this pandemic, I invited my dear friend and emotional eating expert to share what is really going on with emotional eating and how can we set ourselves up for success if we know that emotional eating is getting the best of us on the daily. Now, Trisha Nelson has dedicated 30 years researching the hidden causes of emotional eating and addictive eating and has proven tools that help each of us identify our own triggers and then what we can do to address those emotions and address those habits once we know what drives them. So what today we're going to be talking about is how to identify when emotions and stress are at play and then what we can do about that moving forward. Now, before I bring Trisha onto the show, I want to quickly sing her praises. Trisha Nelson lost 50 pounds by identifying and healing the underlying causes of her emotional eating. She spent over 30 years researching the hidden causes of addictive and emotional eating, addictive personality, all the things that's tied to emotional eating. She is an emotional eating expert and the author of the number one best-selling book, Heal Your Hunger, Seven Simple Steps to End Emotional Eating Today. She's also certifying health coaches on how to get better results and how to help people overcome emotional eating. She is the host of the popular podcast, Heal Your Hunger, and is regarded as an incredible speaker. Let's bring Trisha onto the show. Welcome to the Essentially You podcast. Trisha, honey, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm so happy to see you. Oh my goodness. So happy to see you as well. And so excited to talk about this very, very real struggle for so many people right now, which is emotional eating. This is, I know this is your journey and this has been your expertise for so long. We're talking about how to end emotional eating now, literally right now. But before we get into the nuts and bolts of that, I would love for you to share your journey. I know this is your second time on the show, but still would love you to share your journey on, you know, how you overcame emotional eating and what was the impetus for launching your incredible mission, Heal Your Hunger? Absolutely. Yeah. I think I was an emotional eater from the get-go. Honestly, I just, as far back as I can remember, I just loved food. I loved to eat it. I loved to cook it. I loved to serve it to people, go out to dinner. So it was just like this huge highlight for me. And I didn't know there was anything wrong with that until like I started uh, hanging out with girlfriends and seeing that like they'd ordered a, a sandwich with fries, you know, and then eat their sandwich and pick up their fries. And I'd eat my fries and pick up my sandwich. And I'd be like, there's something different about me and food, you know, cause I loved carbs and I love sugar and anything ooey gooey and chewy. So that was really, you know, my orientation with food. And, you know, that would have been fine except the fact that I gained weight really easily. So I just, I had this roll on my tummy that would scrunch up and I'd want to cut it off. It would be fat. And so I'd be thinking, you know, how you cut fat off the side of a steak. Well, you know, maybe it'll work. And God, I didn't try it, but like I was obsessed with my weight, obsessed with weight loss. And then when I would do things to lose weight, like diets, you do the obvious diets, exercise plans, pills, potions, lotions, and, and none of those things would ever give me like lasting weight loss. So I could lose weight for a time, but I would always put it back on. And I had like five different sizes of pants in my closet. Cause I didn't know, you know, wherever I was on that roller coaster ride where I'd end up. So it's very frustrating. I hated my weight. I feel very embarrassed about my weight. And I also just felt defeated because everything I tried didn't work. So 
you know, what happened in my journey is that I met somebody who was able to show me how to get out of that cycle, the yo-yo dieting cycle by going deeper and addressing underlying causes, the emotional eating. And so when I started really addressing emotional eating, it made all the difference in the world. And that's how everything changed for me. And I had been 50 pounds overweight, but I've been in a thin body for many decades now. And it's, it's, you know, based on what happened for me is how I designed my heal your hunger system that I walk other women through now. And it's just, it's wonderful. And it has nothing to do with diets, nothing to do with exercise plans, has everything to do with just healing at a deeper level so that the weight loss is effortless. Mm, I love that. I love how clear you were in kind of what it felt like to one, just love these foods, but then not love the outcome of, of what happened and just find yourself in that rat race of constantly going. Can I ask, I'm going to ask you a quick little personal question. When you decide, when you ended up knowing that it, there was deeper work to do, because so often all of us think that it's the weight weight is the thing, right? It's the, it's the cause it's the, and it's always, it always is the side effect of something d- deeper. When you dove into that something deeper, what was some of that for you? Was it worthiness? Was it the control? Yeah, it's all of the above. You know, it's never one thing. So I have people say to me, oh, I know why I eat. And I think you probably don't because it's never one thing. People are like, yeah, I eat because I was, you know, deprived at age 10 or I eat because I was sexually abused or I eat because my dad's an alcoholic. It's never one thing. You know, it's, it. you know, we definitely typically for somebody who struggles with food and weight, there's typically trauma, you know, there, not always, but, you know, oftentimes there's some kind of dis- function as a child. And so we didn't get a strong foundation, but what happens is we develop coping tools as on account of those experiences. And those coping tools cascade into this whole kind of maladjusted way of dealing with our problems. The first of which being we eat over them, you know, but it's never one thing, but yes, at the root almost always is a feeling of unworthiness. No question about it. Um, you know, I still something I have to work on in myself, you know, those limiting beliefs, um, not giving myself credit for all that I can be and all I can do. Those are roots that, that go very deep. I mean, I know for myself, I thought I was fundamentally stupid, bad, and ugly. Like that's what I grew up believing about myself. So those were deep rooted beliefs that I had to really debunk, but it, you don't just snap your fingers and they're gone. Like you have to really see where it plays out in your life and you have to start making changes in the way that you live. But going back to the trauma stuff, I developed something called the anatomy of the emotional eater, which is 24 personality traits that really are signature traits of the emotional eater's personality, which have nothing to do with food, but they have everything to do with how we respond to life circumstances. And, you know, so many times, like you said, people are trying to deal with the symptom of food and weight, but not going deeper. And that's the only place to go because, I mean, we've all been on a jillion diets, you know, and what happens? We are good for a while and then we can't take it anymore and we go right back to the way we were eating and the weight comes back on. So that yo-yoing is so typical for so many people, you know, and I often tell my clients it's a living problem, not an eating problem. So those traits that I talked about of the anatomy of the emotional eater, they don't have anything to do with food, but they they create cravings. So for instance, people pleasing is like the number one trait of an emotional eater. And we're, I mean, I just was on a call with my clients talking about this and 
And it's like, it's so endemic to the emotional leader's experience because we didn't get that strong foundation of worth, of self-worth and self-esteem. We're always trying to get it from outside of ourselves. We're always looking for somebody to, to give us the girls, right? And we feed on that, pardon the pun, you know, that, that feeds us, but it's short-lived just like a donut, you know, it feels good in the moment, but then we're looking for something else to eat soon after. It's, it's that validation we get from people. Never, the hit never lasts very long. So we have to keep doing it. But when you people please, you run yourself ragged, trying to make everything, you know, everything better, trying to make people happy, trying to be superwoman, And then you exhaust yourself and your, you know, your adrenals are tapped out, you know, and, and besides that you're resentful because nobody's really as pleased as you expect them to be right sometimes they barely notice and it's like what are you talking about I knocked myself out you know and so I always say that's the perfect prescription for an I deserve it binge like screw them they're not gonna you know appreciate me I'm gonna go ahead and you know buy my favorite goodies and watch tv so like it's an example of how we need to I will show them yeah exactly (laughs) screw them you know but but that's an example of how you know, it's not about the food, but if I keep people pleasing, if I keep exhausting my adrenals, if I keep putting myself last so I can make everybody happy, I will eat, you know, I will eat, you know, out of stress and out of resentment. And that's got to change and no diet will address that, you know, which is why we have to go deeper. You've worked with so many people, I, I th- thousands and thousands and thousands of people. And in the landscape of working with everyone, would you would you agree that we all have some level of emotional eating? Yes. I think we're all hardwired to have an emotional connection with food, just like the way like you're going through right now, breastfeeding your child. I mean, it's like there's a beautiful, wonderful connection there, emotional connection that we're meant to have. So I think emotional, I think eating can be an incredible experience, you know, for everybody, we're meant to enjoy it, we're meant to enjoy our food. And so the difference between, you know, somebody who really goes overboard with it versus somebody who does it now and then is really the level of control they have to sort of pull back and course correct. And the number of consequences they have. So, for example, if somebody goes on a cruise, they eat too much, drink too much, you know, they gain five pounds, they come back, they're like, no more sweets for the month, and I'm going to jog an extra five miles a week. You know, that those five pounds are off in no time. No big deal. So they have the ability to control it, course correct, and the very few consequences, Versus somebody like me, who is a total binge eater, you know, when I ate or when I started eating, it was hard for me to stop. It was hard for me to pull back. And, you know, with an upsetting experience or or hard, you know, situation in my life, I could put on 10 to 20 pounds, you know, and so that's a bigger consequence. And when you do the yo-yoing thing enough years your body takes a major hit, you know, your joints start to ache. I mean, you have, you need hip replacements, you know, uh, other body parts replaced, you get autoimmune issues, you know, from feeding your body crap. So diabetes, I mean, so many different consequences and very hard to control it, very hard to scale back. 
when you need to, you know, it's like, it's, it's just a, a vicious cycle. So that's somebody who's more on the food addiction side of the equation. And I actually have a quiz on my website that somebody can just like find out where they are on the spectrum. So I believe we are all our emotional eaters. It's just a spectrum on the low end is, you know, very few consequences and a lot of control still to course correct on the high end is food addiction, very little control and a whole lot of consequences. Mm. Okay. And the consequences be even being physiological consequences, maybe, maybe emotional consequences as well. Totally. Oh my but, God. Yeah. There's so many, I mean, mm-hmm. not wanting to sleep with your spouse because you don't want to be seen. You know, like you want to keep your body covered up or, you know, not wanting to play with your grandkids on the floor. Cause you, you can't get up once you get down there. I mean, there's so depression, anxiety, low self-esteem, you know, not wanting to have your video on, on zoom calls, you know, it just, it goes on and on. Hmm. That, that is, makes things so, so tangible. I was thinking you know, my, 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 my hormone brain goes into, well, then we get insulin resistance and there's estrogen dominance. We get brain fog and, but no, the, the, I, I don't want to get down because I can't get back up or I don't want to look in the mirrors when I walk by. I don't want to go into my closet because I'm, I don't even want to look at the jeans that I can't fit into anymore. Like all of those are consequences as well. Yeah. I mean, you and I are clothes girls, you know, we love cute clothes. And, and like, I hear so many times from people, like I have a closet full of really cute clothes and I can't wear any of them. I'm wearing black stretchy yoga pants instead all the time. Mm -hmm. Real talk. That is, this struggle is absolutely real. And I'm so grateful that you have a quiz that really can point to, cause I was thinking, I'm like, this has got to be a spectrum, you know, and I know we've, we've had conversations about what that spectrum can look like for so many of us. Whereas, yeah, you have a little something here, but it, it's, you know, you get back on track. You know, we, we, we make slip ups. We have, we have a little cheat day and then you pick yourself back up. You don't shame yourself. And you're like, you know what, tomorrow's another day and I'm going to make healthy choices tomorrow. You know, there's that side of the spectrum. And then there's, like you said, the food addict, when a lot of us unbeknownst to ourselves are struggling with food addiction. And we like, there's a, there's a something in us that says that, yes, this is probably an issue, but like it hasn't, we haven't confronted it. Yeah. It's so easy to push to the side. You know, it's not like we're, you know, putting a needle in our arm. So it's not taken as seriously. We tend to laugh about it, you know, make jokes about it. So it's, you know, but, but it is, the struggle is real, you know, and it, and when you start thinking about all the ways that it does affect our life and our self-confidence, that's the biggest thing I hear is it really affects our self-confidence. We don't want to date. We don't want to show up for, you know, lunches with girlfriends, you know, it's just, it really inhibits us. And that's sad. You know, that's not how we should be living in any way, shape or form. So unfortunately, denial is probably the biggest characteristic of this problem. So it's easy to say, oh, it's not a big deal or I'll deal with it next year or I'm going to get through the holidays and then I'll do something about it you know, but like, why, like, why do we always put it off and how long have we been putting it off? You know, I mean, this is our life we're talking about. This is not a dress rehearsal. It's like, you can be free now. You can feel good now. Why wouldn't you want to just do that? Yeah. It doesn't come without a price. You know, you have to make changes in your life, but, but people always think, I think, 
when somebody's been struggling with this for so long, they think diet, they think I can't go on another diet. I've, I've failed at so many diets, you know? And so they just don't want to try again because of that. But it's not, honestly, dieting is not going to be the answer. And the work I do with Heal Your Hunger is a whole different tack. Like it's not about food or weight. It's not about exercise. It's really about changing the way we live putting self-care in our lives, you know, making sure we put ourselves first, which doesn't come easily. Like we have to train that. Like we have to, as women, we have to be trained and encouraged and supported in putting our, our needs first. And people think self-care is selfish, but it's really selfless because when we do it, when we take timeouts for ourselves, our families, people around us get the best version of us. And we forget that that's what happens. So it's not selfish at all. It's actually preparing ourselves to be able to give more, but from a, a deeper place, you know, and not from a deficit. And we also, we feel so much, there's so many ways to nourish us, right? You know, we think about the word nourish and it's, it's usually always connected to how we feed our bodies, how we how we put substrates or fuel inside of our bodies to to run energy processes, but it's it's so much more. There's so many amazing ways that we can nourish our bodies through self-care so we can feel you know, I like you're talking about that deeper, those deeper wounds, the deeper work, you know, and how we're kind of filling the gap by putting food in our mouths, kind of filling in the void. But have you found that self-care and really nourishing ourselves in other ways can fill those voids as well? Oh, it's, it's vital. I mean, I, I had to learn how to parent myself, you know, and it's not that I didn't have good parenting. I actually did, but it's, you know, but not on an emotional level. Like my parents were kind of out to lunch, you know, so to speak, like they, you know, they're product of their time and everything was superficial and how you look and, you know, looking good, sounding good, getting a good degrees and that kind of thing, having a good job, but you know, the story, you know, create a good story, but in terms of really emotional nourishment, you know, it was pretty devoid of that. And I had to learn how to do that and how to, you know, even, know what a feeling was and how to acknowledge and deal with that. And, you know, when I, I was eating for so long, and it's true for my clients, when they've been eating so long, it's like, they don't know how to feel. They're so afraid of a feeling that they just snack all day long, you know, and just kind of keep, keep feelings at bay. But the problem is, is, you know, we either deal with our feelings or feelings deal with us in terms of health issues, in terms of autoimmune issues, in terms of cancer, you know, I mean, there's a lot of problems with stuffing your feelings for a lifetime, you know, and the sooner we can get more emotionally balanced, you know, through meditation and prayer and writing, talking, you know, stopping living in the closet with our emotions, you know, we're so afraid to let people know how we really feel, you know, but, but it's part of being human you know, is to have feelings and discuss our feelings and let people know where we stand about things, use our voice. You know, these are all ways we can nourish ourselves and really start to, you know, be more integrated with our humanness, you know, instead of just tamping it all down with food. Hmm. I agree. I 100% agree. You know, it's, it's speaking in particular, like, like you said, like learning to have that voice speaking into, you know, those, those, those emotions is so, so critical. And, and oftentimes we're just, we're eating to kind of stifle them down to kind of shove them down um, when we're not able to fully express that. Okay, so let's talk about, because I know you, you talk so much about how diets fail. And I feel like we all at this point, 
we, we, we kind of know that it doesn't mean that we don't still subscribe to it, right? We've got keto, paleo, all the new, you know, the new thing. And yeah, it's very tempting. And, you know, I know that a big part of this conversation we've already been having is that a part of that failure is because it's not about the diet. It's so much more than that. So can you speak into just, just kind of just reiterate for us because we, we need to hear it. We do. Um, why 98% of, of basically why all diets fail. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. And it's, you know, I think especially for people who struggle chronically with food and weight, we always want a hack, like give me a quick weight loss scheme, you know, even though it's dressed up as good science, you know, which intermittent fasting with keto, like there are, there's sound science behind these things, but I always say, filter it through the knowledge of yourself as an emotional eater. And, you know, for those who don't really understand what emotional eating is, it's really just what we, the reason I have been talking about is stuffing your feelings, you know, just sort of staying numbed out using food to deal with difficult situations, you know? And so, um, these, these diets are, you know, there's nothing wrong with them ostensibly, but if somebody has struggled a lot with food and weight, you know, the, the, the intermittent, intermittent fasting is not bad. Like putting 12 hours between dinner and breakfast is a good idea. Like it's good for your body. It's a good idea, but going 16 hours, you know, skipping breakfast. I don't recommend that for somebody who is an emotional eater. And again, you can take the quiz and find out where you are on the spectrum, you know, whether you're an emotional eater or a food addict, but really it's not a good idea because we we're starving, we're getting into starvation mode. Like there's a little thing in the back of the mind of an emotional eater. That's like a panic button, you know? And if we go too long without food, we kind of panic and we will tend to overeat, you know? And so then what have we accomplished? If we overeat or we end up just eating everything, you know, we're not supposed to eat because, Hey, I've got, I've starved for this long. You know, I've got it coming to me. Like I've got these points available to me. Um, we don't really accomplish anything. We're eating crappy foods or too much food, you know, to make up for all the times we didn't eat, but then wouldn't have just been better and more compassionate towards our bodies to just eat three meals and don't eat in between and have 12 hours between dinner, dinner and breakfast, like stay away from the extremes from the hacks because they tend to backfire. And I find that some people love IF because they are afraid to go to the kitchen. Like there's, they're emotional eaters. And once they start eating, they can't stop. So the idea of intermittent fasting is like, you know, this keeps me from, from starting, you know, this delays the starting, you know, and, and that's going to be the best, you know, hope for me because I can't stop when I start. Well, I say that's not a true solution. You know, let's deal with the underlying causes. Let's deal with the living problem so that you're no longer afraid to go into the kitchen or no longer out of control. Once you put something in your mouth like that, there's a better, you know, more balanced way to go. So these hacks, you know, in my experience, if somebody has been struggling for a long time, they will backfire and they're just, it's another hack basically. Yeah. I mean, that's real talk. Yes, you can. Like you said, the extremes will backfire. So if you do a 17 hour or 18 hour fast to keep yourself out of the kitchen, oh, you're going to be, I mean, one, you're going to be hungry and whatever else is going on in your life. You know, you've got that eight hour window or whatever window it is to eat. You're going to, you're going to get in it. 
So yeah, so it can absolutely backfire on you. And yes, there's lots of great science. I talk about intermittent fasting all the time, especially for boosting mitochondrial function and helping to stabilize insulin levels which I think are super critical for women's hormone health. But again, if the driver is the emotional piece and we're not addressing that, even though you may know all these other things about your body's physiology, it doesn't, doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to escape that, that emotional concern, that emotional yeah. eating. Yeah, it's just got you got to kind of take it all into consideration and we're all unique beings. You're, we're all unique beings and we have to consider our knowledge and our history of, you know, how what our relationship with food is like and do the thing that's going to create really the most consistency and stability for ourselves long term. Mm. I want to come into a topic that I think is really difficult for people to discern. I myself am constantly gut checking this because I I know I'm on emotion. I mean, we all are, right? And I I grew up with that celebrating, like I deserve it. That's always for me. I'm like, I deserve this. Give it to me, you know. And so that's where I I <laughs> that's where my and we've talked about this before too. But differentiating between emotional and physical hunger. Because that is that is the gut check moment. So I'm always checking in with that one. Girl, I'm all about your three mil magic. I'm locked and loaded. I cannot talk to you. I cannot tell you how often I talk about your three mil magic. We're gonna get it, we're gonna talk about that in just a second. But and and just really making sure that you're well nourished in those three meals. But then really differentiating between emotional and physical hunger. You know, for example, Alex and I, we are leaving for Hawaii tomorrow with the baby. And we had to go get our COVID test and we have been working our little buns off, like working, 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 working. So we took a break. We had to go get this test because you can't get on the plane without it. And we had, girl, we had a half hour to ourselves. And across the street was a UTC mall in La Jolla. And there is, I'm not sure if you ever heard of Pressed Juicery. It's a oh, juicer. Sure. Yeah, no, I went and down the street. Girl, they make, do you know that they make ice cream? I do. <laughs> I've always been curious about it. I've never tried it. Oh but my God, it's so good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, of all ice creams, I'd say that's probably the healthiest yes. one you could possibly It's the eat. healthiest ice cream ever. It's five ingredients. Literally, it's basically juice frozen, you know, like, but not even, it's more healthy than that because even juice can't always be healthy. Anyway, so we're, I know it's there, girl. I, yeah, Alex knows it's there too. And he's like, you want to go get a treat? Because my husband maybe has, he's a little bit more on the, we deserve treats more than I do. When we're getting into that. <laughs> I know he works hard. He's like the devil on my shoulder. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) So he's like, treat. And I was like, no. We I was like, yes, let's go to Nordstrom's and get an iced tea, an unsweetened iced tea, a green iced tea. That's our treat. And so, you know, yeah, girl, I got, I'm like, I got to reframe. And so we had to, we had to reframe this treat. We both knew we were working hard. We wanted something, something special for us, you know, that I didn't have to, we weren't going to make it home. And so we went and got these, these yummy, yummy, unsweetened iced teas. But I had to walk past press juicery (laughs) to get there. And, um, but I had to check in. It was, it was not, it was a, it was a, it was going to be a treat. It was going to raise my insulin, like glucose levels, you know, and, and so I reframed and created another treat opportunity. You know, ultimately we just wanted to get out and enjoy ourselves and enjoy each other. It didn't have to be wrapped around an ice cream, you know? Yeah. And it's so true. You know, food is always the default so often and it's, I think it's, that was a great fix, right? That was a great change and pivot. I get a gold star from Trisha. You so do. <laughs> I love that. And that's what I do love about three meal magic. Cause I'm like, you know, three meals with nothing in between. If it's in between, it's not my food. 
Like it's not my food, you know, and it helps me, you know, it helps with, you know, little uh, Trader Joe's, like, you know, when they're cooking up something yummy, Mm -hmm. you know, and you want to have a taste. It's like, no, Costco. Yeah. Not my food. Not my food. food. So that helps a lot. But the, the space between the meals really does help to identify what's going on. And I think this is why so many people do snack is because it just keeps you constantly numb. And so you don't really know what your emotions are. And I often say, if you, if you're going to heal your hunger, you have to feel some hunger, you know, because in that hunger between the meals, not that you have to go starving, but it's like that uncomfortable when we're used to snacking, just three meals with nothing in between is going to be a change and a super beneficial change. If nothing else, it's going to show you how much you do snack, you know, and how much you are unconsciously reaching for food. Super important. And, and what you're also going to start to learn is, wow, these are feelings. Of, it's not just hunger. There's actually like some real feelings that I'm having that I'm starting to get hip to. And that's vital. Like we have to start knowing and identifying when we're a little perturbed, you know, or when we're sad or when we're feeling some anxiety, like, you have to start tuning in to yourself and knowing your emotions so you can address them in a responsible and healthy way versus stuffing them with food. So that's why I love the three meal magic. It just gives you a little it's sort of like training wheels for starting to tap into what's really going on. Absolutely. I think it's so helpful in differentiating between emotional and physical hunger, right? We weren't hungry. I knew that. You know, and so it's just, it, it, that really kind of, it clears the gray zone because it can get real gray if there's not like, okay, we do, we do these three meals, we make them hearty, we healthy fats, healthy, lots of good protein, lots of good fiber in terms of the color of the rainbow. I love me a pound of veggies a day if one can do it. And, but like that's broken up into those three meals. So it gets really clear when that hunger comes in, is it an emotional hunger or is it a physical hunger? Like, and, and really, if you're nourishing yourself in those three meals, you really, then those other hungers are definitely emotional hungers. They are. And it, but it's the crazy thing is how easy it is to believe that that emotional hunger is physical. And like, I'll, I'll get tricked too. Like it'll be nine o'clock in the morning and I'll have a tough phone call to make. And I'll all of a sudden be like, I'm so hungry. And then I'll go like, really? Like, really? Are you hungry? You had a really healthy breakfast two hours ago. You can't be starving like you think you're starving. And then I'll start asking what's going on. I'm like, oh yeah, I don't want to make this phone call, you know? And all of a sudden I wanted to distract with food. So it was an emotional hunger. Absolutely. Well, it's so interesting. I, I don't know if we brought that us on, on your podcast because I just interviewed on yours, but I'm wearing a CGM and I am tracking my blood glucose for every meal that I have. And what's fascinating is that even in, in the two hours, your blood glucose is still on, still recovering from that meal. So it's definitely not firing hunger signals to you yet. So it's been really fast. I didn't know it would take so long for it to get back down lower for your body to be like, oh, it's getting time again to eat, you know, four or five hours later. No, two hours after that meal, your body's definitely still working it out. And it is like, please don't put more substrates in me. 
please don't, please don't make me work hard. Yeah, don't confuse me. I've got a job yeah. to do. I've got to digest this. <laughs> I got to put this into the bloodstream. I got to put it into cells. My mitochondria have to start working. Like you think about all the processes that your body has to t- take on with that one meal. And if you, you, you eat in the interim, your body's like, oh, oh gosh, you're going to make me do this again. You know, like, give me a break. And so I I just want to speak into the physiological processes that are happening. And I'm watching it literally in real time on this monitor as my body is like, please do not eat. (laughs) Please let me deal with this. So concrete, isn't it? Isn't it? Yes, so true. Okay, I know you got to run. We're we're right on time in terms of you got to go. What are, real quick, three things that we can do to end emotional eating now? Because we did promise. Yes, absolutely. So I would say, first of all, slow the heck down. We're all moving too fast and stress is the number one cause of stress eating, you know, and thank God we had the pandemic to show us that we could slow down and survive it, (laughs) you know, and that we're no, nothing's going to fall apart. You know, we don't have to be super women. We can actually just take it easy. So that would be the first thing is slow down. You know, don't put so much on your plate, pardon the pun, you know, like really. Yeah. I need to hear that today. Yeah. Right. Oh God. Well, (laughs) it's so hard the day before travel. The next thing I would say is put that little scale away. Okay. Stop weighing yourself. If you give the scale the power to make you feel good, you give it the power to make you feel bad. So the problem with the scale is when it tells us something we like, we end up justifying eating something because we're Ah. like, Hey, the scale went down, you know, and if it tells us something, we don't, right. (laughs) And so, you know, what's been accomplished there. And then if it tells us something we don't like, we we're like, feel defeated. We're like, are you kidding me? Like I went to the gym every day this week and it it didn't move the needle, you know? And so then we have an excuse for self-pity eating, right? Poor me, you know? So it's just a trap you know, we know when we've lost weight, your pants will tell you, just take the focus off the number, you know, start just doing the right thing for yourself. Start putting some self-care in your day and let it organically happen. And the, and the last thing I would say is stop doing it alone. You know, we have no problem with hiring a trainer when we need to work out with, with admitting that we can't probably work out too hard if we don't have somebody kicking our butt. Like, it's like, that's an accepted thing. We'll pay the money. We'll, you know, we'll, we'll get the help. You know, I mean, I couldn't do it unless somebody helped me, but then when it comes to our eating, we're like, Oh, I got this. Or or really it's, I should have this. We don't got this, but we think we should. And so we keep shooting ourselves and slipping and falling because we're trying to do it on our own. And I will tell you food addiction or addictive eating is the hardest of all addictions to overcome because you have to eat. You know, you have to take the tiger out of the cage, pet the kitty, and then put it back in the cage three times a day without getting your torn off. Not easy to do. So get support. You have to eat. So it's a very tricky thing, which means you need as much community support, as many people cheering you on as possible. So don't delude yourself into thinking you're going to lick this on your own because it's very, very difficult to do. And it's so much easier when you have a system, you know, for overcoming almost eating and when you have other people smiling at you and telling you how good you are. Yes. Well, tell me how we can plug into community. Totally. You know, th- that general accountability, because I know you've got it for us. Yeah, for sure. Definitely go and take the quiz at healyourhunger.com. Start there. 
you know, and then you're, you know, welcome to sign up for a breakthrough session with uh, my team. And then, you know, basically we can talk about it, like what your needs are and how we can support you. Cause definitely, you know, all my programs are in group format because the women get so supported by each other and it just makes it fun. You know, and I do some individual coaching as well, but gosh, there's nothing like being, there's nothing like being with people who have struggled over a cookie, you know, like it's like, nobody's telling you to moderate. Nobody's telling you to just mindful eat because that just doesn't cut it when you're sitting there staring at something you just want to devour. So the community makes a huge difference. I agree 100%. Just like emotional eaters or food addicts in your life are going to pull you in to that, having people that are working to love their body and nourish their body and generally keep each other in beautiful accountability and support is the thing that we need, right? Especially if you've got a food addict in your house. (laughs) bring them in, you know, bring them in. So I'll have the link to the quiz so you can see where you're at on the spectrum. And then I'll have the link to the breakout session as well. Trisha, honey, thank you so much for stopping by. Girl, you are the real deal. You get it inside and out. (laughs) Thank you, sweetie. You right back at you. I love you so much. And I love what you do for so many gazillions of people. So thank you for that. And you deserve that vacation. You have every bit of fun that you can. Thank you, honey. See you soon. My favorite strategy that Trisha shared today, and this is one I've been practicing for years, is the three meal magic. Today, I'll be honest with you, I'm not a big fan of snacking because, well, I had a lot of experience with snacking and it didn't always go well for me, but because it can be so mindless and all of a sudden you don't even realize how much you ate, Plus, a lot of snack foods are not created equal. Some are filled with a lot of chemicals, a lot of processed ingredients, hydrogenated fats, lots of sugar. It really can just stack the deck against us in creating more inflammation. Also, snacking prevents our mitochondria, which you know are our energy powerhouses, from optimal functioning because there simply isn't enough time for them to reset from the last meal This significantly impacts our energy levels over time. And it's no wonder we're feeling sluggish and tired. Now, the last reason snacking is a no-no for me is because it turns us into sugar burners, not fat burners. And that can impact our metabolism, causing our body to store more abdominal visceral fat, and again, in turn, leading to inflammation. So given that our bodies need four to six hours to recover from meals, I always recommend focusing on that solid two to three meals of protein, fats, and fiber. These are the cornerstone to happy hormones. And this is why Trisha has found so much success. And honestly, it can be so simple to do if we're just committed to saying three meals and that is it. Now, if you loved a lot of the recommendations and tips and tools that Trisha brought to the table today, I do want you to invite you to check out her free quiz. Are you an emotional eater? Oh goodness, I know I am. I have found ways to get under control, but it's always something I'm mindful of. Or if you already know you are and you want to break through, she has an emotional eating breakthrough session. It's usually valued at $300 and she's giving it away for free. I'm going to have both both links in the show notes for episode 281. Can't believe it's episode 281. So exciting. Just keeps climbing. And I want to say thank you so much for tuning in to the Essentially You podcast today and just being open to this types of conversation. 
this is one of those areas that we can easily just kind of push to the wayside. But I'm glad that Trisha is doing the work at helping so many of us overcome a lot of the emotional kind of underpinning of why we eat or how we eat. Now, I want to continue this conversation later on this week. I want to shine a light on burnout and how burnout can deplete our bodies of critical vitamins and nutrients. So I'm going to be sharing the top five nutrients that your body may be missing. And this is a big reason why, again, we eat as well as if we're burned out, our body's screaming for nutrition. But sometimes those calories that we put in are empty. We want to really focus on the calories that are going to really nourish and supplement our body at the same time. I'll be digging into that in the next episode. Until then, have an amazing day. 